So if you haven't already, if you would just turn to 1 John chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verses 6 through 12. If you would um, go ahead and turn there, and then if you would bow with me. Father, we are grateful that we're able to gather today um, to study your word. We want to be transformed by it. We want to be faithful to you. Uh, we want to seek first your kingdom. Uh, we want to trust in your son and hope in him. Lord, we pray for any here today who's never truly uh, experienced a new birth, never truly been born again and turned to Christ in repentance and faith. I pray that you would draw them to yourself that they would see Jesus as their only hope, that they would accept the testimony that you have given about your son, that they would hold fast to it. And we know, Lord, that all those who repent and believe the gospel uh, will be saved. They, they do have eternal life. And so we just pray that that would take place, Lord, this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So last week, uh, in summary form, we looked at the three things that John has been arguing for all the way through, the three things that give evidence that someone is a child of God. And you probably could say these, but I'll repeat them one more time. Uh, it is uh, faith in Christ, love for God and his people, and obedience to his commands that are results of the new birth. And so that, that those three things are central uh, for us all the way through this study that we, we see it. Uh, and, and it's helpful for us to see it. Uh, another way to say this is um, that we cannot see the Spirit's uh, transformation uh, on a physical level. Like I meet you or talk to you or sit down with you. I couldn't like say, oh, that's for sure. Uh, just just by your physical appearance, say that, oh, they're, they're Christians. Can't I can't see that, but I can see the effects of it over time. And so it's interesting. I always think about what Jesus uh, had said. He, he said... Um, you, you can't see the, the wind, but you can see its effect. And so so with someone who is born again or born from above. And so uh, I think that's important that we understand that. Now, today, as we're looking at this, we're going back kind of the, that that test of faith. But the emphasis is not on uh, our response to what we hear. The, the emphasis here is on uh, the object of our faith. The, the emphasis today is on him, like about John bringing to us uh, who the Christ is, who Jesus Christ is, and firming that up for us uh, one more time. And so we're, we're looking at the genuineness of the person of Christ. I was telling some, some folks uh, on Friday night, I was eating with, I was saying, sometimes when I get into a passage that's real doctrinal heavy, and it has some things where you say, well, some people hold this, some people hold that. And, and I'll think about that, and I'll think, uh, man, uh, in our world that wants it to be so practical, you know, the study... Uh, it's hard sometimes to say, man, I'm going to come real content heavy. And because and I, I think, man, this this is going to be uh, some people may not really, uh, you know, connect with it or understand it. And then I thought, you know, I have to stop and say, why are we here? You know, I mean, there is a point where you're saying uh, understanding who Jesus is and firming that up in your heart is the the most practical. I, I mean, at the end of the day, that is the ultimate issue and so I, I again i have to sometimes even in my own mind and heart have to say that's it i mean that, that's the ultimate issue like to to address that is is extremely important and so i hope you find it uh, valuable this morning as we work through um, this text so i want you to look though at first john 5 1 and 5 5 
Because we always want to read your Bible, we want to study it in light of like what's taking place in the text. So in five one it says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And so we see two things here. Jesus is, is uh, the Christ and Jesus is the Son of God. Those are central teachings throughout John. And I think central things to helping you understand the point of this passage that we're about to read that has some difficulty for you, like for all of us as we read it. But I think that that's that's so central for us because that that is what it means to the Christian confession is, is Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And, and that's John has just kind of laid that out for us. Now, that fits very well with the Christmas season. That's what we're doing. We celebrate Advent. We celebrate the coming, the first coming of Christ, as we look to the second coming of Christ. And we celebrate this season about the Christ because we believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, that we have hope in him. Now, John is going to bring us three witnesses here that kind of solidify the case that he's kind of been making about Jesus and who he is. Now, this isn't the first time that he's brought a witness before us. You remember at the very first of the book, he, in 1 John 1, 1 through 4, we heard, he, he comes up and says that which we've uh, heard from the beginning, what we've heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we've looked upon and touched with our hands. John's saying, I have seen him. I am an eyewitness of this. We are testifying to that reality. And so John's witness has been strong to them. And now he's going to speak today, focusing on the witness of God to them. Like God's witness about the Christ who has come now um, as we kind of think about that, I think we say, what is God's testimony about his son? He is going to speak that over us about who Jesus is. And like I said earlier, that is an ultimate question. That is the ultimate question. What do I believe about Jesus? And that, that is life's ultimate question, because what you believe about him is is like it's is tied to your destiny, your eternal destiny, and so uh, I, I think you would say if you're a Christian here, a genuine Christian here today, you would answer, "I trust in Jesus Christ, the God Man who saved me from my sins." That's what we do with Jesus. We embrace Him as the eternal God who became man, dwelled among dwelt among us, and died on the cross for our sins. That's how a Christian response to the question of who or what do I believe about Jesus? We believe even further, you might say, the testimony of the angel who said to Joseph, you will name him Jesus for he will save us from our sins. We believe also in the same passage in Matthew, the prophecy was fulfilled that was given that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, we believe that God, the son came to save us by becoming flesh and then dying on the cross for us. He came to save us from our sins. If you're not a believer here today, you need to know that how you respond to Jesus is the ultimate question. You, you, you might say, well, I'm not hostile. I'm like some people might say, I hate Jesus. I don't like Jesus. I don't like Jesus people, I mean, I, I'm mad at the church, whatever. They may have all these long lists of things and they might be hostile 
against Christ. And, and some of you may say today, like, there's secretly maybe that in your heart. Some people might even say, well, I'm not hostile towards him. I'm just indifferent. Just don't really. I don't. He's great and all. Christmas is great. Christmas programs and little manger scenes. I went and visited somewhere, you might say, uh, where they had that laid out. And we saw it and the kids loved it. And it's just a fun time of year. You know, I like to I like the idea uh, of Jesus coming and, all. you know, some people may say, you know, I'm not really rejecting him outright. I'm just indifferent. And I would say, if you're not trusting in him as your only hope, you have no hope. You can hope in a lot of things in this life, but they will not produce in the end something hope worthy. So will you have to ask kind of this morning, what do I do with Jesus? Will I trust in the testimony that's given to us by God? Will I align myself with him or will I reject it? That is the ultimate question. That's the one we're going to be answering today. Uh, that is that is our only hope as God's people. So let's look at first John chapter five and verse six, and you're going to see uh, there's kind of this picture. There's a triple testimony that's going to be laid out here. The water, the blood and the spirit are kind of the three things that we'll see. And we'll kind of unpack those and hopefully uh, you'll be able to kind of uh, uh, understand it better and, and come away with something that you can really cling to. I will say verse six, let's just go ahead and read that. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. Now, verse six is one of those verses that like, I mean, most of you know, this, but I mean, there are uh, people that write what they call commentaries and they write these uh, comments about like they would take a book of the Bible. I mean, people can write comments on anything, but we, they would write full commentaries and they would uh, they write them out. And like basically they they argue like these points about we think this means this and this is why. And usually they'll give you multiple points and then like they'll say this is the one I hold to. Um, basically, I'm going to kind of mention the different positions that I've read this week and say, nah, I, I think I'm here, but I mean, I'm not I wouldn't like fight you over it you know but the, the there's kind of there's three basic points and or positions that are taken and i'm just going to use the summary given by a guy named ligon duncan on those uh position one is this some commentators like luther and calvin some of y'all may know that name uh, see in the reference to water and blood a mention of christian baptism and the lord's supper so when you're looking at these witnesses they see that there and uh, you certainly might say um, those point to the person of Christ. Somebody could see that. Uh, but I, would, I think this John seems to be speaking of something more directly of Jesus personal experience in this verse. Um, the reason why I would say it's more directly as you look at verse six, uh, it says this is he who came by. He it, it's kind of seems to be tied to an actual historical uh, uh, point in the life of Jesus. So that's point one. Or position one, another position, other theologians. And again, if you've studied church history, you just know there's a guy named Augustine. It's a very famous uh, uh, author and theologian. A lot of people cite him when you're trying to say, okay, where does the Christian church stand on things? And uh, he saw it as related to John 19. 
where when Jesus was on the cross and they said, you know, everybody agreed that he was dead. uh, And uh, one of the um, uh, soldiers took a spear and stabbed it into Jesus side. And you know what came out? Blood and water. And so he would say there's a connection there. John's writing this. John's writing that. And so uh, he would see that uh, as relating to that. Now, uh, that, that's a valid you know, thought, and, and, and people certainly discuss that. Just kind of giving you a little bit more of that. I think the only thing that's kind of a difficulty for me, I think the emphasis in that chapter, in that book, was on the death of Christ. I think the emphasis in this passage is on the incarnation. You say, eh, you know, whatever. But it's about God coming down in Christ. Again, I told you, there's going to be a lot of content the first half. Don't freak out on me and be like, oh, this is so boring. No, look, position three. This would be kind of where a lot of commentators stand. So this is a position that most commentators take, and this has been explained by Christian theologians since the second century, uh, beginning with Tertullian. Uh, they see the water and the blood as reference to Jesus' own baptism and Jesus' death. The water, Jesus' baptism, the blood, uh, his shedding of blood in his own death. So um, it, I, th- I think we have to say, like, what, trying to answer this, is like, what is John trying to preserve about Jesus Christ throughout First John? And I think the, the struggle or the tension's always been on the incarnation, that God came down to us. Christ Jesus was fully God and fully man. He came down to us uh, to save us from our sins. So I think that's what he's tried to defend over and over. And I think that's an important thing. Now, what you need to know, too, just kind of again, if you like, uh, this is like the History Channel. But uh, one of the things that happens is uh, the w- what happened in the early church was like uh, there was this guy named um Serenthus, and what he did was, in when he talked about this, he would say that Jesus was um, basically filled with the Spirit, uh, or not the Spirit, but d- the divine, the Christ, at his uh, baptism, and it left him at right before the crucifixion, and so that Jesus, uh, the Christ, the Christ didn't actually die. That was kind of the argument. Uh, the the person Jesus. Uh, he died, but the Christ did not actually die. And, and I say that because it, it is, it's one of those things. What happens is, is uh, if Jesus, the Christ, didn't really die, then it was, it was just a little sad thing that a man died for a good cause. Or did God actually come down and die for us? You see, what happens is if you reject uh, that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, died for us, you strip us of salvation. You understand that? So sometimes like when people have to address this, they understand like you you really do. You deny that the Christ, the son of God came, he lived, he died for us. You lose salvation. You lose your hope. You lose forgiveness of sins. You lose God being satisfied with the righteous requirement of the law uh, there. You lose those things. And so I think it's important that we understand that his death um at his death, he did not cease to be the Christ, the Son of God. And that's that's a very clear thing. I think we have to understand. Now, as far as being the water and the blood here, I, I do think like when Jesus, again, came to this earth and when he uh, uh, at his baptism, there was something that took place where the, the father spoke and said, this is my beloved son. It's not that. 
this is becoming my beloved son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The spirit came down upon him at his baptism. And it was like a witness of the triune God there that he is the one. He is the hope. He is the eternal son. And he does that. And that's and not only that, right, right after that, Jesus ministry begins. It's almost like a pronouncement of who he was and his ministry begins. And you begin to see him. Uh, you, you see the aspects of him being God. You see him as a man. You see him as the Messiah. You see him overthrowing all the powers and all the rebellion and all those things. In that first coming, you see that and you say, he is the Christ. He's the son of God. All of that unfolded. And then you begin to watch his ministry and his life. And you're saying, that's him. He's the one. He's the hope. Now, also we see, and I think it's important, we see some level of God's witness to us, the supernatural things at the cross. There was darkness all over uh, the, the, the place. It was just like a time that was filled with great darkness. The veil of the temple was torn. There was an earthquake all of these things, and, and, and Skip mentioned someone this morning that said, and do you note this, that there was a centurion there who cried out, truly, this was the Son of God. So that what you see here is in his baptism, this witness, and in his death, this witness, that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And John is saying, those are verifiable evidence to you. Trust in him alone. Hold fast to the incarnation. Celebrate Christmas. Celebrate the truth about it. Celebrate the Christ who's come. The eternal Son of God came to us. Celebrate that. We gather here every week not for you to just figure out how to have a better life, like a happier life, a more fun life, a more fulfilled life. We come here to celebrate King Jesus who left heaven, the eternal Son of God who came to earth, becoming a man to save us from our sins. That's why we exist here. That's why we celebrate that. That's why all over the world today, people will be celebrating the Christ, the Son of God. And John's saying, hold fast to that. Hold fast to this witness that you have seen. Now, what about the Spirit, the witness of the Spirit? The Spirit works, and that's what we've been watching all the way through. In us. I mean, the spirit and, and again, I mentioned Skip mentioned something uh, or brought something to me where, you know, the spirit is the only one who is the eternally present. He is there in the in the baptism. He's there at the crucifixion and he is here presently now working in the hearts of believers to open their eyes to see. That's why you do believe the spirit. You're born of the spirit. The spirit opens up our eyes to see that the Christ, the son of God, has come. He lived this perfect life. He did these works that validated he was Messiah and he died on the cross. And the spirit, what, here's what the spirit does. He, as we hear the word, he opens our eyes to see it's an internal witness for the believer to, and, and the one who has believed they can look back and say i didn't believe and then i did believe i understood i grasped this that's what the spirit does so we see two kinds of testimony an, a historical and an experiential an objective testimony and a subjective both of those are present and john's saying man those things those things 
those witnesses, you hold fast to those. You, you believe in those. You embrace those. The Holy Spirit reveals the meaning of Jesus' life and death. That's so important for us to see. Verse 9. Now, here's the thing. If, that's what, that's what we would say. If someone has the Spirit, they believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's the test. When the Spirit works in the heart, that's what they believe. And if somebody comes to you and says, oh, I know God, I'm in relationship with God, I understand God, and they do not believe that Jesus is a Christ, the Son of the living God who died for our sins, they don't know Him. They haven't experienced the work of the Spirit that transforms the heart, that causes them to believe. Verse 9, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that He is born concerning His Son. God has spoken to us. I've struggled a little bit with this this week, wondering, is the testimony that's emphasized here the internal testimony that God does in us? Or is it that testimony of God speaking to us as He reveals and interprets through Holy Scripture what has taken place? I don't, I don't know how you would answer that. There's a sense in which the Spirit of God working through the apostles, He, uh, he, he, he gave them in a very... I mean, that's, that's how they got it. He gave them this message, helped them write it down. It is, it is very like a powerful message. It is a Spirit-dominated message. They wrote not their words, but the very words of God. That's what the apostles did. And then, then God witnesses in the hearts of the believers as He opens their eyes to see those things to be true. And He's been doing it for thousands of years. So here's what He says. If you listen to the testimony of men, how much more the testimony of God? In the Old Testament, there had to be two or three witnesses to come against someone. And here again, we see could maybe argue three, maybe you could say two, and saying if you would take man's word, how much more God's? He has spoken to us to reveal his plan. Now, verses 10 through 12 show us what the only and proper response is to the testimony. That, uh, this is where I get the testimonies there. We kind of unpack some of that. Oh, we'll go all the way through. But then here it's saying, like, how do we respond to it? And it's going to unfold for us that faith is a necessary instrument in receiving it, the testimony. It, it, we walk through the channel of faith. And notice in verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is a testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Whoever believes we see here in the Son of God has a testimony in Himself. It's in His heart. It's there. It's transformed Him. We enter into the life by faith. This is the channel we run through. And when, when that happens, we walk through that empowered by the Spirit of God. We have that. We've held fast to that. We believe that. Now, this is really, really interesting. If you do not believe the testimony of God, we see here you are calling him a liar. Is that not shocking? 
Sometimes people say again, like, well, you get your way, I'll get there my way. He is saying there is no middle ground. You are either embracing the testimony of God or you have rejected it. You have either embraced the truth or embraced error. It's it's a very clear thing here. God, it's almost as if you could say God is on the witness stand and says that my son, my only son was sent to earth and became flesh. He had a ministry of preaching and healing that verified him as Messiah. He died on the cross as a substitute for sinners. He endured the wrath of God as the perfect sacrifice. And God says that you, if you reject it, you're calling me a liar and you get what you deserve. You you're running your way. You are abandoning the truth of God. And if you do so, there is no hope. You are blaspheming God. You are saying that God is a liar. Now, if you say you have a relationship with God apart from the Son, you're also a liar. You are claiming relationship with God apart from his son. You are saying there's another way to access the throne. If you say I pray to God apart from Jesus, I would say it's impossible. You do not have access to God except for the the crucified Savior dying in your place as a substitute so that you're not under the judgment of God. You have not been reconciled to God by some great experience, by climbing the ladder of your obedience. No one's done that. It is impossible. The chasm is too wide. You'll never make it. You could jump far. You could climb high. You could do whatever you wanted to do. And he's saying, no, there's no other way. To say I have relationship with God on my own. Today it's very popular in a lot of parts of this world to say that, oh, I'm in relationship with God. I have my relationship with God. I've even seen people say, I'll grab this religion and parts of this religion, merge them together. And that's my God. That's my religion. That's what I'm hoping in. Or they say, man, God and I have a good relationship, but it's not Through his son. And I would say. Jesus didn't die. Because you could have a relationship. Apart from Christ. God did not come down. And humble himself to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Because you could have a relationship. In any other way. You were under the curse. You were damned. You had judgment. You were under the judgment of God. You, you deserve to be crucified yourself. And God crucified his son so that you could have access to God. So you could be reconciled to God. So that you could have life with God. Without Jesus, there is no relationship with God. Not the God presented in the Bible who created us, who says he made us. That God, if he is the, what he claims, the one true and living God, there's only one way it's to accept the witness. It, 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 that, I'm telling you, like, that's the. 
That is so hard for people to believe. But to not align yourself with what God has said about the situation is to reject him and to say he's lying. What is the testimony of God? You see here, God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. This is the only hope for humanity and it's the only hope for you individually. This is why we celebrate the Christmas season. Because we say life is in his son. Now, what do we learn about eternal life in these verses? We learn that it is an, an eternal gift. It is given. It is not something we earn. We learn that it is a gift given by God to us. We learn that it is an eternal gift of life that comes to us through Jesus. We learn that those who by faith trust in Christ have it now. We learn that we can have confidence that we have it. First John 5.13, he writes these things that you believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal Life. So again, how can we know that we have eternal life? We believe in the name of the Son of God. We trust and rely upon Him. This will certainly be evidenced by love and obedience, but we know that entrance into relationship comes by faith in Christ alone. That is the hope. Now, what is eternal life? That was one of those things that really, like, when I studied that, and I, it just kind of came back to me this week about how that has, is so um, hard, hard sometimes to think in, the, in these terms. But I think when I used to think about eternal life, I just thought about heaven. That, that's really what I thought about, going to heaven. When I thought about going to heaven, a lot of times God wasn't there. I mean, he was there, but he wasn't the first thing on my mind. What was on my mind is just fun, easy life, peaceful. Everything was just good. Pearly gates, beautiful mansion, streets of gold. Just, I mean, man, it's going to be like the best life, you know, like everybody's going to live in a gated community and. It's just going to be awesome, right? And you meet people like now, they're like, God wants that for me. God wants that for me. What does God want for you? God wants this just to be like the, the greatest time. Perfect relationships, perfect house, perfect people around me, perfect job, perfect, perfect, perfect in my way. What I think about it. So when I thought eternal life, I just kind of thought very, very base, selfish kind of. Woo, this is eternal life. You know, that's what it means, man. Like no cancer ever, you know, or whatever. 
And there's an aspect, certainly we would say, if you read your Bible, you understand that there are these wonderful promises that when we get there to be with the Lord, it will, there will be wonderful benefits. But the biggest thing is not that. For John 17, 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is to know Him. It's to be an intimate relationship with God. It's not to be outside of the garden, but to be walking with Him. It's to see Him as He is. It has experienced the joy and the splendor and the wonder of knowing the Creator and Redeemer. And not be hindered by my perverted thoughts and my evil and dark thinking and my rebellion and all those things gone so that I can love Him like I ought to love Him. It's to be separated from my condition that keeps me from intimately being united to Him. Eternal life is centered in that. And so at one level you say, we experience that now in part. And we're looking for that in the future. In part, there's moments where I'm gathered with God's people and I just think about the wonder of redemption and God's creation. And, and then the next moment, my mind's lost in something else. And, and, and to, to, I long to get to that place where I would love Him and cherish Him and experience Him. And I do that in part here. But I'm waiting for the fullness of that to be fully restored in Him. Such a beautiful and powerful thing. You ever struggle with that? Like ever? Just think, Lord, I want that kind of intimacy. I want to know you and see you and experience you in more fullness. You might even think about this year. You say, Lord, let me draw close to you this year. Let me see the unsearchable riches of your love and your power and your grace at work in me and in us as a body. I wish I could say I always long for more intimacy with the Father and the Son. But I don't. And maybe this time of year is a time where we stop and ponder for a moment if we rightly do so. What God has done in Christ and our hearts are stirred more. And maybe that's what you pray for, that God would do that in Christ. Now, again, this last this study today is we, we would say is that we as Christians are to believe in the historical Jesus who's been witnessed uh, uh, through the word as it's presented to us, that he came to us, that he lived among us, the eternal son of God dwelt among us, that he died on the cross for us. We hold fast to that witness. We also Thank God that he, by His Spirit, He makes us believe it and love it and cherish it. And we hold fast to that. And that's what this, again, this season is a reminder of the wonder of that. And then I think the other thing would be is if you are here and you have thought your relationship with God was based on something other than what the eternal Son of God who became man did for us. I, I hope today is a day where you could say, I see for the very first time, I believe the testimony of God. I no longer say I have relationship with God, with God apart from His Son, but I say His Son is the one who reconciled me to Him. 
And, and maybe today that's the day that this happens for you. And so I encourage you, we would love to talk with you. I say that fairly regularly. I would say to you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in him. Embrace him as your only hope. Believe the testimony of God both externally, and if He causes that work in your heart where you love and cherish it, you're holding fast to that, that God worked in my heart, that He allowed me to see Jesus for who He is. Hold fast to Him. Trust in Him. He is your only hope. I beg you today, choose life and not death. He speaks of an eternal life, and the Scripture will speak of an eternal death. One eternally with God, one eternally separated from God. May you choose life today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I'm so grateful that we're able to gather this time of year and be reminded of the wonderful work that's been accomplished for us in Christ. Lord, we do come to the Lord's Supper today as a reminder that Christ did come, that his body was broken, that his blood was spilled. And that he will come again and that we will eat with him. Lord, I pray this is also a reminder today as we take the Lord's Supper of the Advent, both first and second comings. In Christ's name, amen.